What do you say? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Conversations with Bacon. Uh, this is a brand new podcast, so I'm really thrilled to have you here. Thank you for giving us a, a bit of a shot. Um, now, before I get into the point of this podcast and what I want to do here, let me give you a bit of background around who I am, because many of you probably have no idea who I am and who this English, slightly American-sounding guy is waffling into your headphones. So my name is John O'Bacon, and I've spent uh, my entire career over the last 20-odd years really focused on one thing, which is trying to understand every nuance about how we build powerful, productive, and meaningful communities and teams. I'm fascinated in how we work together as humans, the psychology, the tools, um, uh, how we incentivize people, how we reward people, how we plan and deliver work, how we build buy-in and get people wrapped around something that we want to deliver. I think it's fascinating. And like many of you, I've had the good fortune to meet so many fabulous people across my career. And the times when I've learned the most and when I've had the most fun learning has not been in meeting rooms or in seminars at conferences or even from books. It's been when I've been having lunch with people or dinner or a couple of gin and tonics and just hanging out and sharing stories and sharing experiences and perspectives and the philosophy of how we approach what we do. And that's pretty much what I want to bring to this podcast. Frankly and selfishly, I want to have an excuse to have an interesting conversation with interesting people on a regular basis. Um, and I'm going to, my hope is to bring on a really diverse range of people from different industries, different professions, different parts of a business. Um, so you can be a bit of a fly in the wall in, in some of the deeper questions around how they approach their work. And I'm hoping that it will be fascinating to listen to and you'll take away a few things that will be useful in your world as well. Um, this is brand new, so by definition, I'm going to be learning as I'm going along. Um, there's going to be a few bumps in the road early in this podcast that I'm hoping you're going to have the patience for us to <laughs> kind of get through. Uh, you'll be able to find latest episodes of this show at johnobacon.com slash conversations, and I really want your feedback. Which guests do you want me to bring on? How can I improve the show? How can I make it better for you? Uh, all emails are welcome to conversations at johnobacon.com. Uh, now the first episode is out. I'm going to be getting it up on iTunes and, and Google Play and all those places. So be sure to subscribe to the show. Uh, and I'm also putting these out as videos as well. Um, so you'll be able to subscribe to the show on YouTube as well. So without further ado, I'm really thrilled to bring on my very first guest. This is a guy who I've been buddies with. How long have we been friends for now, Todd? Is it like five or six years? Something like that? I would say, yeah, sounds right. So, something like that. We were introduced by uh, a mutual friend, Jason Hibberts, who works at Red Hat, who is uh, one of the, the founding forces behind uh, opensource.com. And let me first of all get into the rap sheet of who Todd Lewis is, okay? So Todd, you've been around in tech for more than 15 years, so good work, granddad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or about 20, depending on how you define in. You've been working, you're working for an internet services company back when the dot-com bubble happened, but you created your first open source and technology event about tw uh, 12 or 13 years ago, and you've been doing them since then. Uh, what I think a lot of us know you by is All Things Open. This is an event that was founded in 2012, or you created it in 2012, is that right? But you, did right. it run in 2013, is that right? It, it did. 2013 was the first year. Right. And how many years have you been running it now? Seven, right? Uh, this will be seven. Right. Yeah. Okay. This will be the seventh year. Wow. We can both do maths. Okay. <laughs> so you told me that the first year you did it, you had about six or 700 people show up. And last year you had over 4,000 people show up. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable 
rate of growth. Let's dial it all the way back to 2013. When you were kicking this off, we've all gone, gone to a, a thousand different conferences. What did you want to accomplish this, with this? Like, what was your design and your thinking around what this event should be? Because let's be honest, there's other open source events in the US and in other countries. How did you want ATO to be a little bit different than them? Ah, that's a really good question. Um, so, you know, uh, like you and like a lot of people listening, I had attended a lot of technology events also. Um, right. I've been in the tech space for a while. I've attended, I at that point had attended many and I'd actually coordinated, I'd organized uh, them for maybe five or six years, even before I started All Things Open. Mm. So I had made some mistakes. I had tried some things and gotten some things right, of course, done some things very well. But I'd done some things, you know, very wrong also. So right. I'd made the mistakes. So I sort of learned what worked, what didn't work. And uh, I think above all else, John, I wanted to create something with All Things Open that uh, really highlighted the human element of, of technology. Right. The the humanity, uh, you know, to use a term, uh, you know, the humanity of it has always fascinated me that, you know, it's one thing to have technology skills. It's one thing to implement technology, but there are human beings doing that. Yeah. Uh, real life breathing, you know, living human beings that are making all of that happen. So I wanted to really do something that combined the technology component, the educational component, yeah, yeah, yeah. but above all else, the human element and really highlight some of the individuals and make them you know, really make them featured. That's really what we've always done from the very beginning is really, you know, focus on the people that really make it happen. So yeah. there's the technology, there's the education, but above all else, there's the people. And it's not that no one else was doing that. I'm not, you know, saying that at all. Right. I just really wanted to do that and make it a focal point of the event. So something we've tried to do, I love people. I re and I'm fascinated by people. I think <laughs> yeah. much like you are. Yeah, totally. I find people just human beings, incredibly fascinating and especially ones in the tech industry. Uh, I'm, you know, in all of what they do. Right, right. But at the end of the day, they're, again, they've got personalities. They're in, incredibly interesting to me. So why not highlight that as part of an event? It's kind of interesting as well, isn't it? Because when, I think for many people who go to events, uh, of course, everyone's got different interests. And some people want to go to tech events and they want to go and see hardcore technical sessions that, that really kind of delve deep into whatever the technology is. But those events that focus on the human elements, whether it's, running companies or projects or whether it's um areas such as burnout like i've spoken at a couple of conferences about burnout and that always goes down pretty well because i think it's an interesting psychological topic people are always interested in that stuff but sometimes they can find it difficult to apply it um in their professional world um how have you struck that balance because of course someone looks at an event like ato and they for many people they're they can only go if their company can justify paying for them to go, right? Um, how do you strike the balance between content that's interesting to people because it's just interesting and content that a company can justify sending their in, their employees out to? Like, how does how, how do you get that? I mean, is there, an, is there a perfect way of defining this or is this just something you've kind of figured out <laughs> over the years? Uh, well, you know, I, th I, th I think there is a way to approach it. Um, I'm not saying it's the right way, but it's the, you know, the way, the avenue that we've decided right. to sort of, you know, go down and follow. Um, you know, you can, uh, we've, we, we focus on, you know, we feature different tracks. We feature multiple tracks. Yeah. So we certainly have technical tracks that are traditional 45 minutes that are 15 minutes, more burst talks. 
and then also extended workshops. So like you said, someone can attend the event and they can go get a really great deep dive on a technology that's going to help them in their job right, right. and therefore justify their attendance, uh, justify their employer paying for them to attend. Uh, but we also, uh, at the same time, running at the same time as those types of tracks and sessions will be, uh, you know, sessions on really focus on the community and really focus on that human element. And then we have those types of sessions featured during lunch, uh, post-event. Our socials are set up to, you know, encourage interaction and yeah, engagement yep. and really bring out and, and, and highlight that human element as well. And then we run special programs and special events, sort of events within the event that highlight that as well. So what we try to do is set up a structure that maximizes people's opportunity to really get the best of both worlds. They can still interact with people and get that human element uh, and really attend sessions that even focus on, you know, really the human side of technology. Burnout is a great example. Community um, dispute resolution, you know, how to resolve disputes, uh, codes of conduct, how to communicate effectively, some of those more traditional topics. And then they can turn right around in the very next session block uh, attend a highly technical session that focuses really on the technology itself or an extended session or attend a workshop. So, so it sounds like you, you, know, want, they can, you really want people to be able to kind of just be able to bounce between those different kinds. Of, it sounds like what you're saying is your you're thinking here and your approach is let's try and provide a really diverse range of content, right? So instead of going to an event where all you get is technical stuff and all you get is, you know, or, or all you get is, is the social hum, human element, you try to get mm. like a, a balanced meal. <laughs> I th- I think that's a fair way to describe it. You know, I go back a ways. You sort of hit on that when you when you introduced me. Right. And, uh, you know, I can remember, and again, this is not being negative toward any one event or any series of events in any way, but I can remember when there was very little of the human element highlighted yeah. at these types of events. You'd go and it was hardcore tech stuff, which was great. I enjoyed that too. But there was very little, I guess, recognition that human beings make all of this happen. Mm. And I've really seen that change over the last decade and especially over the last five years. And I think that's a wonderful development. I'm really happy to see that happen. And, you know, we've been doing that, uh, you know, going on seven years with All Things Open. And even before that, right. we were focusing on those types of topics. And I found very early on that people responded to that. And it also, um, you know, with the uh, you know, people going into tech and, you know, if we're really trying to encourage inclusion and diversity, you know, how inclusive is it? To, you know, it, this is just my opinion, but to only feature uh, really, really technical, you know, content while just ignoring the human side of this. Yeah. I mean, my, my goodness, few of us are robots. I'm certainly not. No. And there are times <laughs> when I get extremely focused and, and I even might even develop some tunnel vision on a few things that I'm working on. But, you know, once that comes to an end, which it inevitably does, yeah. uh, I turn back into a human being. And, and I, I, I just think content that focuses on that is extremely important. And we've seen the results, you know, the um, events have grown. And I think that's a, that's a very big reason why. Yeah. How do you, like, one thing that's always interesting to me when I go to events and, and the ones that really, like, so I've already told you this, Todd, but the first time I, I when I first heard about ATO, I think, I can't remember when it was, I think it was 2016 was when I first came to ATO, something like that. Or maybe it was 2015. Um, and I went to your, to your, front page of your website and there was a ton of speakers on there that um um i recognized who they were and i knew many of them just from working in the industry and i was blown away by like that for me sold it It was like holy holy moly this is a pretty like this is some serious serious stuff going on because a lot of new events that kind of kick off you get the headline speaker who 
you know, might be interesting. And then you get a whole bunch of people who are who are maybe less less well known. But you really had like a you know, like a, a gallery of, of rock stars there. Um and events can get stale, right? Over the years, I don't want to name names, but there's various conferences that many people used to go to and they don't go to anymore because they became a bit stale either through content or it's just the same crowd showing up over and over again. Um, how do you keep it fresh? Like, how do you tap, like when you're thinking about, you know, you're, you're presenting this marketplace of ideas and content, how do you, how do you keep it interesting to be, blunt with you particularly when you're getting pressure from probably sponsors and industry veterans that they want their seat at the table at your event how do you get that balance because you don't want to go around alienating people and saying well i don't want you to speak because you know we want to bring in a, a, a new crowd so it, it's, it's got to be a really delicate balance that you've got to kind of strike right it's it's an extremely delicate balance but you know john one of the things i'm really proud of is that we've always stayed true you know we've stayed true our allegiance is to our attendee and it's something that we've said from the very beginning i mean i cr really created all things open in any event that i've ever been involved with uh in you know i created the event that i would want to attend and i would want to attend an event that put the attendee first right and that put you know the person that was going to pay for a ticket that would come through those doors that would put them first, that would ensure or maximize the probability that they would have a wonderful experience, that they would meet someone new and interesting, that they would get great educational content yeah. while they were there. They would have a chance to network. They would have a chance to maybe build the Rolodex that might lead to a job or career opportunity or just career development, just growing a, as a human being, yeah. you know, meeting other very, very nice people. So we've never... That's never changed. I mean, you, you know, um, just you know, giving you a little inside information. I, I, you know, have had conversations with people and had to explain to people that, you know, our sessions are very carefully curated. The topics are carefully curated. The speakers are carefully curated. And while we always want to make sponsors happy, of course, I mean, you know, they make the the event possible. It 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 will never come before the interest of the attendee. Right. Uh, and that's just the way that it is. We're always, you know, and there have been times, you know, maybe that's hurt me. Maybe that's hurt the event. Maybe that's hurt, you know, the financial position of the event. But we've always been okay with Has that. Has that resulted I mean, in just... some, like, that's got to, in the past, have resulted in some pretty, <laughs> pretty tense discussions with some sponsors. Because if someone's willing to stick a pretty significant chunk of money on the line, I admire your, your approach because it should be that right, right? Because that's the like anything like running an event is an art form and 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 you've you've got to put your your audience first um uh, how have you navigated those i mean i don't i don't want you, i mean i'd love you to give me some actual names but i know you're not gonna <laughs> but like how have you navigated that like is it just political maneuvering to basically set expectations and and help them to understand that perspective I, I think it's, i think it you know it's really the open source way it's really about transparency and honesty yeah and being proactive with it and not being ashamed of it and not, um, you know, sort of avoiding very tough what might be viewed as some as a very difficult conversation. I mean, you know, I will say this, um, you know, very few people have ever had an issue with it. I think people very much respect it. Yep. We've always been willing to work with people. Um, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest, too. You know, sponsors, um, again, they are vital. They make events possible and i'm extremely thankful for them yeah. you've been to enough of 
our events to know that, you know, one of the things that I always lead with, I lead with is thanking our sponsors. And I know I can remember days when no one did that. Everyone didn't, they did not want to acknowledge the role that sponsors play. They wanted to kind of say, well, you know, we'll take your money, but we're really not going to acknowledge it because we don't want to be viewed as someone that's sold out or that we're controlled by corporate interests. That's especially or the case that is affecting, as well, right? Where there is that tension between companies and projects. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's true. So from the very beginning, I think at our very first event, I was up front and I was just honest with the audience. I said, look, you know, thank you for being here. Mm. I always discuss our code of conduct because that's extremely important yep. to us. And we always lead with that. But then I get to sponsors and I always acknowledge them. I encourage people to patronize them and stop by and get to know our sponsors because they really do make it. So, you know, they are taking a risk on us also, especially, you know, anyone out there that started an event, you know, you know, your first time or two around the block, you're asking your sponsors to roll the dice on you. They're assuming a lot of risk. They're, they're trusting that you're going to attract a good audience, one that can maybe benefit them in a variety of ways. And that you're going to put on a great event, one that they're going to be proud to have their logo on or be or be a part of. So it, it really is a very reciprocal relationship. Yeah. You know, you're asking them to trust you. And if they're willing to trust you, especially those first few key years and, you know, again, uh, make funds available to you and put their logo on your event, which let's just be honest, their logo gives you credibility, too. For sure. This is a, this is a two way street. That's something else that people don't want to acknowledge. <laughs> they kind of want to say, well, look, you know, I'm, I really do a great job and I'm going to do a world-class event. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that it really is a two-way street. And when people log on to that website or they learn about your event, if there are well-respected companies visible on the, on your event website, it does establish credibility for you. Yeah. So I've always acknowledged that value that they bring to the table. So relating that back to speaker selection and things like that, you know, I'm just very honest with them. I think you know, most of our sponsors recognize the fact that I truly do appreciate them. I've had long conversations. I probably err on the side of thanking them too much, but in a sincere way. I mean, I realize that those dollars could go anywhere. And the fact that someone's willing to take a gamble or a risk on us is really appreciated. So when having the conversation about speakers or content or featured content, yeah. it's always done in a transparent way, a very upfront way, just a very honest, yeah, direct yeah, way. Yeah. And I found the response to be surprisingly Wonderful. I mean, very, very few people have ever had an uh, have ever really had an issue with it. And the ones that have, we've been able to work it out. We've been able to work through it and find a solution, yeah. uh, amenable and one that's mutually beneficial to everyone involved. What without sacrificing the quality and the reputation of the event itself. I, I, I've noticed the same thing when I've dealt with sponsors in the past, which is very few of them are particularly. Um, difficult to deal with if anything they're demanding right and it's just that they want to get value out of what they're uh, of what they're investing which is completely reasonable right i mean that seems seems like a (laughs) a fair position so one thing that's always interested me as well is um about about god it's going on now probably about eight years ago um i was having breakfast i was uh came into contact with this guy called chris anderson who used to edit wired magazine um, and uh, I had breakfast with him and super cool guy who runs a company called 3D, uh, 3DR um, in Berkeley. And one of the things that he said to me, because I was uh, interested in maybe trying to write something for Wired at some point, and he said the most important thing in any kind of art form, whether it's uh, writing or music or, or, or uh, video, whatever else, is you've got to have tension and you've got to have the tension relieved. Because uh, it's satisfying. It's a satisfying component of being a human being. And that's always kind of sat with me. Um, 
And uh, you and I have discussed this a little bit off air, like just the um, how you engineer tension into the right kind of events. Because obviously over the years, we've there's been the wrong kind of tension, right? There's been flare-ups uh, where people have said inappropriate stuff. And I kind of want to get onto that a little bit later on. But um, um, it seems to me like a great event is where you can have uh, many of the same people uh, sorry, many different speakers in the same environment who may have very different opinions and you can get contrasting opinions and contrasting views sometimes on the same stage. Um, how do you, how do you think about that? Like, so what, what's your approach uh, with all things open? Like, do you want that kind of tension at the event? Do you want people to, to be debating and contrasting their perspectives with each other? Or would you prefer it to be more like, let's keep things on a happy, even keel and not <laughs> have any of that? Because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a delta between those two different points, right? Uh, there are. Yeah, certainly is. Um, I, you know, that's a, that's a very delicate balance. That's, you know, that's, that's uh, something that, you know, you kind of have to learn to navigate. Um, the approach that we've always taken has been, you know, lead with respect, uh, I very much have always wanted to, you know, host events that, you know, that make or that result in people using their minds and really maybe looking at maybe if it's strictly a technical talk, yeah. you know, utilizing a tech, you know, a technology platform or an application or whatever it might be in a way that maybe they've never considered. So I think that sort of tension applies to technology as well. I mean, there are generally accepted ways to use some technology platforms and applications, et cetera. And then when someone comes along and says, hey, maybe you should think about doing this. Yeah. And, you know, you sort of watch heads explode on, you know, the, 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 the heads of your attendees in the room, like collectively, wow, I've never, I've never even considered doing that. I mean, I didn't think, I didn't know that was possible. To me, that's a very rewarding experience. You know, you've kind of done your job as an organizer because you know those people will leave that session, and if they come away with nothing else, they have come away with, you know, maybe a new point of view or looking at something that, from the outside looking in, might be viewed as sort of one way or you do it this way, never even considering that it could be done in other ways. Mm. So, in my opinion, you've really done your job. So, we really have always uh, pursued and maybe even prioritize speakers that will present topics in ways that are new and uh, innovative and very creative. Right. And that applies to, you know, not just technical topics, but other topics as well. So, you know, we've never been intentionally controversial. I'm not, you know, one of those organizers that, you know, you're not seeking views. it, right? No, right. We're, we're not. But you're open to it. controversial I've never topics, done that. but just you're not, we are. not your central focus, right? As long as I have the confidence that the people engaging in the conversation or delivering the content will do it in a very respectful way. Right. We stress respect. And, yeah. you know, when you're at, you know, one of our events, you know, we really do try to create an environment based on respect. And we have found that even though you might disagree with someone on an opinion or, you know, on an opinion level, uh, it does not mean that it has to become personal or it doesn't have to result in you know, negativity or negative words being conveyed to another human being. That's just not the expectation. Mm. The expectation is that won't happen, that you can, in a very respectful, even polite way, you know, maybe have just a different point of view than someone else. And it's something that we've really stressed from the very beginning. I mean, I like it when people disagree. Yeah. I like it when someone disagrees with me personally, yeah. because it makes me think about topics in new ways. It, it, um, you know, it sort of pushes my my personal internal boundaries. I mean, it, it pushes my mind. Yep. It forces me to look at things in new ways. 
So I really have always tried to do that with events as well. Never intentionally trying to be controversial. That's not our goal. Uh, I don't want someone leaving offended or hurt. Yep. That is not a very safe environment. That's not cool. Um, and that's some, you know, we've just, we've, we've always avoided that. And, you know, we really try to avoid that. So I, I think there's kind of a happy medium between, you know, pushing people to think in new ways, inviting them to do it and featuring speakers that will, that will, um, you know, uh, cause that effect or cause that outcome and being intentionally controversial or, you know, create a situation that you think there's a, a, a likelihood or a high probability that someone is, is really going to be hurt or not feel safe or not feel comfortable. To me, that's, you know, entirely wrong and we would never do that. But I, I think a healthy tension, yep. um, you know, making people think in new ways or, or encouraging them to do so and, and making content available I think it's a wonderful thing, something we've always tried to do. A healthy tension is a great way to describe is that, it. Is that something that's kind of adjusted over the years? I mean, you've obviously been doing this for a while, not just ATO, but you were doing events before then. Um, and as we've seen, particularly in recent years, um, there's been a lot of discussion in the media and beyond uh, any specific industry about producing inclusive uh, and welcoming environments, but also environments where you can have that exchange of contrasting ideas. And obviously, there are that runs the gamut in a number of different areas, right? But this is a topic that's kind of increasingly coming to focus. I mean, obviously, you mentioned the code of conduct earlier on. I, I mean, I think ev everybody listening to this is probably going to agree that um, the increased focus on diversity, inclusion, and and not just ex not just expecting, but really requiring good conduct at events is essential. Not just at events, but beyond that as well. Um, but I, I appreciate as well that that kind of presents a challenging problem potentially for people such as yourself who run events, which is you want that foundation of respect, but also you do want people to be able to have, um, um, agreeable disagreements, you know, uh, whether, whether respectful with each other. And I can understand that you as an event organizer will say like, we, we we require this of our of our speakers and our atten our attendees that you you show respect to other people's um, perspectives. But you attack you take ideas. You don't attack people, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But you can only ask for that so far, right? Is this have you seen this more or less of a challenge? As you how have you approached this as, as the years have gone? Has this become as the can you unpack like um, uh, essentially like how things have changed and how you can create that uh, that, that that healthy tension. Um, in a way that is respectful? Is that adjusted? Well, you know, I think there are boundaries. Well, I, you know, the way that I approach this, this is my own personal feeling, is that there are certain boundaries that you don't cross. You know, right. there are opinions. Let's, I mean, again, this is simply my opinion, but there are, you know, there, there are boundaries. There are limits, you know, mm. uh, to, to uh, the people, you know, uh, what you can say or what you should say or what should be deemed as, as acceptable. I think... You know, uh, we have never intentionally or, or you know, featured uh, speakers or topics that, in our opinion, cross those boundaries. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, again, that that is a sub subjective thing. I mean, you know, I think other people might view the line here and then, you know, yeah. uh, another organizer might view the line over here. And then the third one might view the line entirely on the, the other side. So that's what makes different events, I think, attractive and interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've. We think, again, there are certain topics in certain positions that do cross a line. And we, we, we just don't, uh, you know, we are mindful of that. We're cognizant of that. And we won't feature content that we think 
you know, runs a, a, a considerable or significant probability of sort of crossing that line. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm, I'm just not going to back down from that. You know, I am a, you know, again, I, I am a true believer in creating an environment for everyone. Mm. And it's something that we've really, really tried to do. And I would rather err on the side of, you know, maintaining and ensuring that that environment is a secure one and it is a, a respectful one for people as opposed to taking, you know, a risk and a, a, a knowing going into it knowingly, knowing that we might cross that boundary. Right. I, I, again, where that is, you know, that's up to the individual. I won't get into the details yeah, there because yeah. that's a very long conversation. But <laughs> too long uh, a conversation. That, yeah. that that could go on for hours, honestly. <laughs> but uh, you know, su- suffice to say, there are boundaries that we that we do not cross. Right. Uh, but again, but above all else, um, it's again, it has to be an environment based on respect. And, yeah. You know, John, I can tell you that leadership matters and the tone you set from the top as an organizer really does matter. And, you know, that's something I've been doing events for 12 to 13 years now. And, you know, we, I can remember the days when codes of conduct weren't that common. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, there was a large number of events that simply never referenced code of conduct, didn't have a code of conduct. And, you know, a few things that I saw at conferences, I was kind of like, wow, you know, that's, that's not right. Right. (laughs) You know, that definitely crossed a boundary. Um, so, you know, that was another uh, reason that, you know, we really wanted to structure these events in the, in the way that we do, recognizing that, you know, inclusion and diversity is extremely important to us. And it's n- something we've never shied away from. And, you know, part of that is making people feel secure and that their viewpoints are valued and that they're welcome. Sure, disagreement is understood. No, you know, there are so many variables at play yeah. <laughs> that comprise a human being. There's no way for all those variables to come together yeah. in unison and head in the same direction. Well, that's the, that is yeah, an that's, impossibility. That's the thing as well is that the, there's only so much you can do, right? And you, you right. it sounds like you just want to build an environment that is, like you say, safe, secure, a great exchange of ideas. Uh, and, and at least from my experience working uh, in this industry, uh, the good news is that I think most people generally don't go anywhere near to uh, – that line which could be considered inappropriate most people will deliver really interesting ideas and, and co- controversial ideas in many ways that that is on a body of respect and i think you that it's true testament i mean every time i've been to ato the thing that's always blown me away is that you don't just have a really diverse range of speakers but you've got a really diverse range of attendees um and, and there is a really broad range of ideas so one thing um that's interesting to me is uh it is you're a b corp so you're a certified B Corp. Now, I didn't really know a huge amount about this. Um, yeah, a couple of companies who I've worked with um, are B Corps. And you mentioned that it took a while to complete this, and it was worth it. Was worth it. Um, can you go over, like, why did you do that? Like, what was the purpose? Because from what I understand, B Corps, it's about, it's essentially about standards of practice, right? It's, it's about demonstrating that your organization has a certain set of standards that you operate on, but how does that work? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think what underlies the whole B Corp movement and the certified B Corp movement, and it's all predicated on a belief that you can still run a business, you, you know, you, you can still make money, you, you can still run a business, but do it in a very responsible way mm. while adhering to a few core principles and, you know, such as, uh, you know, treating people fairly, paying people fairly, 
um, you know, focusing, making education a real focus, um, you know, being focused, actually making, you know, taking, ma- making a conscious effort to focus on that di- again, diversity and inclusion and things like that, focusing on the environment, doing what you can to be, you know, as conscious of, of the environment as you possibly can, things like that. So, yeah. you know, we were just, you know, being very honest with you, not to sound self-serving or like I'm patting myself on the back, but we were sort of already operating as a B Corp before I ever learned about right. the official certification or the opportunity to be. We've always operated all things open and everything that we've ever done in this way. It's always just been very important to us. So when I was made aware of the opportunity to, you know, go through sort of an auditing process, because you definitely, there's a data collection aspect to this. There's an auditing component to this. There's a verification. You have to verify Is it pretty heavyweight going through all, because it seems like a lot of work from when I was reading about it on the website. Is there a lot, there's, lot involved? It's in my... Again, I, I'm just going to give you one one person's experience and opinion. It 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 was. It went very deep. Um, we actually the reason it took us a year and a half was because going into it, I I didn't know the extent of the data collection that was going to be required. Right. We had to go through another cycle, another you know year long cycle of events to collect the data that was going to be you know, looked at, assessed, and then verified. We weren't even collecting the right data. Oh, wow. So once we were made aware of it, we looked at the data that we had and, the, you know, the verification capability, and it just didn't, we didn't meet the criteria. So we were like, okay, you know, we're, we, you know, are we going to abandon this? Are we, you know, is another year to dedicate to this just too much? And, you know, person hours, hours, you know, expended toward this, toward this goal. Right. And we just decided, no, uh, you know, it is worth it to us. We're going to give it a shot. So we went through another year long cycle, why, collected the data. Why was yeah. it what, like, what, what do you get out of this? I mean, obviously you get the logo on your website, which is cool, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. why did you do it? What's the reason? Jono, I think leadership matters. I think people underestimate the impact that they can have on other human beings all the time. Right. I, I think generally speaking, it goes it it goes to one extreme or the other. There are very few people in in the middle. You know, you've got those people that think they have an outsized ego, maybe, and they think they mm. have the right to exert more influence than they ever have a right to exert. <laughs> I know some of those people. No, you do and not know I, any of those people. Uh, <laughs> I think you probably know some of those people, too. We may know some of the same people. I think so, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of step back and I look like, golly, that's really audacious, man. I mean, while I I admire your confidence, uh, dang. I mean, wow. And then on the other end, people that really should be exerting some influence and some leadership, you know, either they don't have the confidence or they don't think they can make a difference. And I'm thinking like, wow, I really wish this person would be more proactive because they're a wonderful human being and they're, you know, they've... They're doing this for the right reasons. So one extreme or the other. But what I've found is that, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years of doing this, it's amazing the impact that one person can have or that one event can have. So, you know, our event is our one opportunity, our one public facing opportunity. Now, you know, I have that opportunity every day that I meet with people and then I interact with people in the public. But our one really high level, you know, where we have thousands of people that come in and see us, that's our one shot to have that influence to sort of exert that influence and really show people what we're all about and to kind of show them that we walk the walk. So it sounds that, like, you know, that so it sounds like yeah. the, one of the major goals of this was it's, it's, it's a, it's a way of showing we're not just like you, you talked earlier on about, about, you know, you want to create an event that's really designed for people and the human element and you want to operate in that. You want to create a, a safe and fulfilling environment. And I guess the B Corp is a way of saying, 
hey, these other people think we're doing that too, right? <laughs> like it's an it's almost like an external verification of that, right? It it is, right. but it's also to heighten awareness uh, for other people that may not one may not even be aware that you can go through the process and become certified. Because anyone that does become certified, they are sending a message. You know, they put the logo on their website, and therefore everybody that sees the website says, "Oh, what is that?" Very much like what yeah. you did. Yeah. And then they 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 do the research, and then they learn. Wow, you mean there are two thousand or twenty five hundred other companies or other businesses in the United States that have said, hey, look, there's a better way to do this, that you don't have to just be focused on profit or maximize profit at the expense of everyone else, that you can treat employees and that you can treat colleagues and people that work with you and partners in a respectful way, that there's another way to do this, that you can really focus, in our case, on the attendee and their well-being and what they get out of it and ensuring and really being obsessed, (laughs) uh, for lack of a better way of describing it, with delivering value to your attendee while not being solely focused on extracting as many dollars from them as you possibly can. There's a different way to do it. So, you know, I just thought it was worth it. And I thought, you know, to me, the opportunity to heighten awareness, to make people aware that there's a better way, in my opinion, it's a better way. Yeah. Uh, And, or at the very least that there's just a different way of going about this was well worth going through the process. So I don't know how many people we've influenced. I don't know how many people we've made aware of it, but if it's just one, if it's just you, Jonah, (laughs) it was well worth it because (laughs) in my opinion, there is a better way to do things and caring about human beings should matter. It's pretty cool as well because like Patagonia, Warby Parker, the method company, Ben and Jerry's, the honest company, like there's, it, it's, there's a bunch of pretty recognizable people who are doing this. So I think it's, I think it's awesome that you did that. I think it's neat. Um, well, one thing that I would stress too, John, is that, you know, you can still make a profit, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not a business. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't operate your organization like a traditional business. It just means that your priorities, you know, that you don't lose focus right. of, Things like, again, your attendees and your employees and the environment, you know, things like that, diversity and inclusion. So those two things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, You know, anyone listening to this or that hears this, please don't think, oh, well, you know, I want to run my business. You know, if I become a certified B Corp, you know, God, I'm never going to be able to make any money or it's never going to work. It's never going to be successful. So therefore, I'm not even going to pursue it. Right. Please don't think that those two things are not mutually exclusive. Right, right, right. How do you mentioned earlier on about ego? Um, and one thing I think is interesting about, again, about the events, uh, the, there's such a broad spectrum of, of events and um, and it brings together such a diverse range of personalities, right, with different ideas. Um, how do you balance being able to bring into an event such as All Things Open, sure, the rock stars, the people who are well-known, you, you want to provide a platform for them because they're going to probably attract a lot of your attendees. And then you also want people who are, who are less well-known, maybe who are newer in their careers, right? Which I think is really important. Um, how do you maintain that quality, right? So there's a lot of people who are very, very well-known who are actually not particularly great at what they do, right? And every industry's got these folks who do this. They're maybe great personal publicists, but they're their their actual work sometimes isn't as good as what like when people actually work with them and there are many people who are not particularly well known who do amazing work who never get that spotlight and events seem like such a great way to shine that spotlight how do you balance that and what how do you maintain that kind of quality because a lot of it's got to be based upon what people submit right i mean you you get 
you had what over a thousand submissions for ATO. Was it is it this year or last year that you got over a thousand? Yes, this year. This year, that's nuts. Yes, I mean that yeah. is incredible. Um, yeah. And when you're going through that process, I guess you're basing it on those submissions, right? What are you looking for? If someone's listening to this and they're trying to figure out how they can have the biggest impact, what it, what are you looking for, and how do you balance, you know, the rock stars and people who are who are not quite so well known? Yeah, great, very great, a, a, a very good question. Um, I would say this: um, it, it it is a delicate balance. I mean, it really is like most things in in conference, you know, organizing and planning. It really is a delicate balance. Mm. So we have made. Um, it a priority to feature different levels of talks. So when someone submits a talk to us, they tell us, is this an introductory level talk? Is it an intermediate level talk? Is it an advanced level talk? What's your bio like? What are your speaking credentials like? What's the title of the talk? Give us, you know, a snapshot, give us an abstract. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, let us know, you know, a little bit of the background so that we know kind of where you're coming from. Who do you work with? You know, et cetera. So we do ask as many questions as we possibly can to get a complete picture, but you know, we still, you know, we want, you know, we happen to believe. So if, when you attend all things open over the course of the tracks, over the course of both days, we intersperse intermediate level talks with introductory level talks with advanced level talks. Right. So that anyone attending our conference can, if they, you know, are an advanced level person, if they're looking for advanced content or high level content, they can seek out, the high level talks oh, I see. across multiple. So there's tracks. always content for different skill levels there's, at every there's step. There's always way. content. Right, that That's exactly yeah. right. So we look for, you know, we look to that in our speakers as well, right? So, you know, there are advanced level speakers and ones that have been around for a while that only want to deliver high level content. They don't, they have no interest in delivering an introductory level session on a topic that they might know a lot about. Zero interest. Yep. However, we also see some people that have been in the industry for a while. They would widely be considered experts that love the teaching element of this. And they want to talk to people that might be viewed as a newbie or newer to the industry. Yep. So, you know, sometimes you can you know get lucky and find real, real industry experts with a lot of experience who really want to deliver that introductory level talk. So, you know, again, and then a lot of introductory level people, people that haven't been in the industry for a while, they're a natural fit for those introductory level talks because they're really relaying their experience and their, you know, maybe their skill level is reflected as part of the talk and other people at that level can relate to the content in that talk. So by structuring your tracks and by featuring different level talks and, you know, again, a diverse speaking lineup, people that bring really, you know, a different human experience, you know, they've come from different places that just different backgrounds. And that's going to be reflected as part of those talks also. Right. So I, th- I think that's another reason why, you know, you sort of mentioned it before, when you come to an all things open event, it's a very diverse, not only speaker lineup, but it's a diverse attendee base oh, yeah, as well. So sure. you'll, yeah. you know, you'll see people sitting beside of each other, you'll see someone in a suit, and then you'll see someone, you know, um, uh, maybe a college student that goes to Duke or to yep. UNC Chapel Hill or NC State that's getting their computer science degree or maybe just a technology degree, they're sitting side by side. You know, they're you sitting know, beside of one another. And it, to me, that's wonderful. Raleigh is a pretty cool town. And uh, I'd never been there before, before I went to ATO. And I don't think I'd ever have a reason to go to, unless I'm, I mean, it's not like I'm working with Red Hat, for example, who are based in Raleigh. Um, um, did that play a role? Like, has that affected the event do you think do you think because i it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people uh a lot of people go to events because they want to go to the location that the event's in and raleigh is i think an unknown town to so many people and then when you go there it's actually it's a pretty cool town um have you seen that affect things uh so <laughs> i have to be 
Yeah. You're going to be diplomatic. Uh, I, think that's, <laughs> I have to be very, very diplomatic, <laughs> but also, Joe, you know, I, I don't want to let the secret out of the bag. Right. Okay. You know, I want maybe, you know, for it to remain a secret to a degree. Oh, oh. <laughs> kidding. kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> R- R- Raleigh's a wonderful town. Um, if I were, if Raleigh were a stock, I would, um, I, I would not be shorting Raleigh. Right. I would be long on Raleigh if if this were an investment. Right. Um, I, I, I saw this years and years ago. Lots of good things happening in the RTP and the Raleigh area. Yeah. So I do think that Raleigh's had a big impact on the success of the event. I'd be lying if I said otherwise. Um, I think there's an open source cluster in the RTP. Right. You know, a lot of it does have to do with Red Hat and Red Hat spinning out there and really getting started there. It's sort of like the Walmart effect, in my opinion. Mm. This is kind of the analogy that I use. If you look at Bentonville, Arkansas, or, you know, the rural areas of Arkansas, let's be honest. I mean, Walmart being headquartered there has resulted in this amazing cluster of suppliers and other people in the space that service Walmart. So it's really been a boost to the economy, and you've seen some growth in that cluster. I think you've kind of you see kind of the same effect in Raleigh and with open source as well. So you've got that one really large catalyst in open source. And then now you've got some other companies that are headquartered there. Now, gosh, nearly every major technology company in the world has some presence in the greater research triangle area, if not in downtown Raleigh. So it's uh, it's a pretty amazing area. And like you say, when you get there, when you get on the ground, you would not believe the number of people I've had personally come up to me. And look at me kind of shaking their head like, my God, man, I had no idea. I just didn't know. I'd always kind of heard, but I'd never been on the ground. But after they go, after they after they see it for themselves, um, they become true believers. Well, I tell you and what, I think man, that's one reason why. I had no yeah. idea. <laughs> and uh, So I you're think, one of those people. I'm a convert. <laughs> one of the things that really struck me, um, which might not seem particularly important, but just people are so nice. You know, like, I mean, when, before Jason introduced us, he told me, you're the nicest guy on the planet and you apologize for things you don't need to apologize for. And, I, and he said, I'll warn you, he'll do that immediately. And that was true. Um, and then when I came out to rally, I realized this is not just Todd, right? There's a lot of super nice people around there. And it's not like people are not nice in the Bay Area. People are generally wonderful over here, but it's different. It's different in rally. And that's great. Well, so- Southern hospitality yeah. is a thing. Uh, we get some things wrong in the South, for sure. We're 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 not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I know it is, though, right? It, exactly. That's that's so true. But Southern hospitality really is a thing, and uh, I love it. I I think I would completely agree with you. The people, you know, really regardless of industry, mm. even people in the tech industry and in, you know Raleigh and the Greater Research Triangle Park area mm. are just really really nice people. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, and we like nice people. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we do. one thing that's interesting to me as well is, you know, you're a, you're a consultant as well, right? Like you, you work with other companies to help them run events. Um, and this puts you in an awkward spot because uh, right now we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, you know, there's an element when you're a consultant of being Switzerland that you, uh, especially someone such as yourself, where you run an event, where so many people congregate together there. Um, but then if you work for a company, then you're obviously building, you're running an event where you are there to serve their needs and run an event. And sometimes that company may have desires or re- requirements for that event that may not necessarily align with how you would run all things open. Um, how have you kind of, uh, how have you 
squared that circle? Like, is it that you just have your separate hat on for when you're working with private companies uh, outside of ATO, and then you kind of have your your other hat for ATO? How have you thought about that? I've tried to be selective with the people that I've worked with. Oh yeah. Um, what do you what, what think... do you select them based on? Uh, creative license. Oh yeah. Uh, with some level of flexibility. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, look, when you're creating an event, I think one of the most important questions that you have to ask is why am I really doing this? Yeah. Am I, do I already, am, am I a company that, you know, I'm creating an event to service my existing clients and the network of suppliers and, you know, people that really that we work with and that we service. Well, if that's the case, you kind of already know who's going to attend. You sort of already know the content that they're going to be interested in. A lot of things are already determined. Mm. If you're foundation, if you have foundation members, you're going to structure an event to kind of service the needs and meet the needs of those foundation members. You kind of already know who's going to be attending your conference, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, a lot of the parameters are already established. You'll get other people that will come and say, hey, look, we really want to do an event. Um, a lot of these baseline questions, the answers are TBD. They're to be determined. Mm. So Todd, you know, we'd like to get your input on where would you go with this? What would you do? You know, from an attendee standpoint, what do you think from a marketing standpoint, from a logo creation standpoint, from, you know, a general messaging standpoint, what do you think? What does your experience tell you? What would you tell us or what would you advise us to do? I like opportunities like that, that do allow for a little creative license because, you know, hey, I've been doing this for 12 or 13 years, haven't gotten everything right. I've made a ton of mistakes, but all of that, you know, experience accumulates, you know, in the form of intuition and, and, and gut feel. Yep. So, you know, all those mistakes and all those correct decisions, all those right decisions have really kind of culminated into my opinion. And, you know, what I feel, you know, what, what my gut tells me is, you know, to the direction or regarding the direction that an event should take. So, you know, I really... It, it it is a delicate balance, but I really do try to prioritize uh, you know people that I that I work with or advise ones that will allow me a little creative license. Yeah, well, it would be crazy if they if they hired you and they didn't l- like uh, l- at least listen to your counsel, right? I mean, and and this happens with some consultants where they have clients and they bring them in and and they don't give them an opportunity to kind of feed into it. I'm lucky because I've never had that with any of my clients, and I don't think you've had that a lot with yours either. Um, you mentioned earlier on at the beginning as well about you know mistakes that you've made and and things that you've done right. How would what would you summarize as like just mistakes and um, and accomplishments that have really stood out in your in your in your mind over the years? Um, mm-hmm. Things that you've picked up that you would pass on to some of your clients or to people who are looking to run events. Yeah. Uh, leadership matters. The human element matters. Do not ever forget that these are human beings right? and that people have needs. They want to, you know, they, they want to go to an event where they, where they really do feel secure, where they feel like they're welcomed and they're wanted. I mean, people want to be, they want to feel wanted. They, you know, they don't want to feel like they're a burden while they're at your event or they're a nuisance or they're viewed as a dollar sign or, right. you know, kind of relegated to taking what I'm offered or, you know, hey, I'll take whatever I can get at this event. That there really is that human, you know, that, that the humanity of this should never be forgotten. Yep. And as if you're looking to do an event, please don't ever forget that. Put that at the forefront of your decision making and let that be a guide, not let that be the only guide, but let that be part of your decision-making process and a factor and, you know, one criteria that you certainly take into consideration as you make decisions and shape your event. Yeah. It, it could not be any more important. It's paid huge dividends for us. I think that's one reason why we've grown so fast. Yeah. 
but it's really been, you know, again, uh, the, the, I would advise that of everyone, and that just does not always happen. You know, not everybody sees it that way. I used to think everyone did, but that's just not the case. Um, I would also, you know, I've kind of referenced this before, and I don't want to get too Simon Sinek-y on you, Jono, <laughs> but, you know, you've got to know why you're doing the event. So many people that I talk to, hey, I really want to do an event, Todd. Can you give me some advice? Well, why are you doing the event? What's 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 the outcome? What would you consider a successful event? Well, you know, I don't, I mean, I, you know, I just, I kind of have this interest and I kind of want to bring people together. And, you know, I just thought like, you know, maybe if I get a venue and you know, maybe I could find some sponsors. Well, okay. So is this going to be educational? Is this kind of a networking thing? Is it kind of a combination of both? What do you want to get out of it? Why are you doing this? Are you doing this to make money? Because if, you know, if you're doing this to make money, one of the first things that you're going to do is, you know, identify who might attend, what the potential price point is. You're going to want to budget, you know, you're going to want to know, you know, what level of funding, you know, you're going to need to, to raise or generate to even break even. You're going to need to identify a break even point really, really quickly. Are you looking to maximize profit? Is this, you know, is this kind of a profit making deal for you? John, you'd be surprised at the number of people that have never even thought about it's it. Crazy. It's crazy. They've never even thought about it's it. It's crazy how obvious that is, but how many people don't <laughs> do it, right? Like, like, what do you want? Because I, I, I've seen this, I've seen this with a lot of, in a lot of other areas outside of events as well, where people immediately jump to tactics and start thinking through platforms and, and, uh, you know, in the case of events, venues and catering and all those pieces without actually thinking like, what's the point of all of this? That's, that's so true. And, you know, too, I've, you know, I've noticed that a lot of people become obsessed with growth. And, you know, they just want to grow it. And, you know, they, they want to get a ton of people there. Right. And for whatever reason, maybe there's some ego, maybe, you know, they view the number of people as the success, you know, as, as kind of a, a, a KPI or, or, you know, some, some way of measuring the success of their event, just the sheer number of attendees. You know, I would really advise anyone in that position or looking to grow an event to put some serious thought into that yeah. because, you know, it, it, um, as the number of variables that you have to consider increases, the likelihood of failure increases. In my opinion, there's a direct correlation. Yeah. And a lot of people never, ever consider that. They never make the correlation in their own mind. They never say, you know, hey, yes, on the one hand, we could have some growth, but that's going to, you know, directly result in this, this, and that. Mm. So is, you know, this, this, and that worth, the, you know, the effort that it, you know, takes, or is it justified? You know, so they never really do... Um, they never really run the equation. They really never do the math in their own mind. They're, they just become obsessed with growth. And as someone that, you know, has run user groups, very small groups with, you know, maybe a hundred people run events with as few as 50 people and then run events with as many as 4,000 and hopefully this year, 4,500 to 5,000. I, I can tell you I'm, I'm, you know, living proof. I've got the scars. I've got the scars to prove it <laughs> that as an event grows, it's exciting but my God, is there more risk involved financially, personally, emotionally? Uh, but just the likelihood of failure goes up accordingly. Yeah, the stakes and, have got to know, get bigger and bigger and bigger with each event, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that you know, particularly, at, there's got to be certain points where you, where you, you've had such, cons- I mean, such consistent growth. I mean, 2014, 1100, 1200, 2015, 1600 to 1700, 2000, sorry, 2015, 2016, 2400. 2017, 32, like it's jumped significantly and that's got to add a whole load of pressure on, um, in venues, staffing, food. Like, I mean, the numbers get very big on the cost side 
very fast, especially when you're at a convention center. Anyone listening that's ever done an event at a convention center or at any venue for that matter, right. you know that right. space is very expensive. You know that food is incredibly expensive. It's awful. It's, it's such that's a where... racket that the, the catering, <laughs> this is not specific to Raleigh, but just all, from what I can tell, all convention centers, it's a, it's a racket. Food it's coffee. widely accepted in in the industry that that is where venues and cities and you know people that have control of venues where they make their money is on food. So that's why a gallon of coffee, a gallon of coffee, will be seventy dollars. Yeah, seven zero for a gallon of coffee. It's, yeah, and then on top of the seventy dollars, there's the service charge of twenty one to twenty three percent. Yep. And that's just for the people to actually come out and serve you the coffee on top of the $70 a gallon. And then on top of that, there's the 8 to 10% sales tax on top of that. So <laughs> you do the math. How much does a gallon of coffee actually end up costing you for a gallon of coffee? And it's funny, pretty much any event you go to, um, you know, the first thing you'll hear from attendees very early in the morning, hey, my God, where is the free coffee? I want more coffee. Give me more coffee. And then when you ask them, hey, I'm just curious, how much might you think a gallon of coffee costs? Oh, I don't know, $15, $10, 20 maybe $20. I mean, gosh, 20, that would be a tremendous markup. No, in fact, it's $70 to $75. Yeah. For a gallon, they're astounded. They they can't believe it. They're shocked. Yeah. They're taken aback. They, they in their own mind, you can watch the numbers, <laughs> you know, the calculator <laughs> you working in their mind. <laughs> you, can, you can watch the numbers turning over and then... You know, it's kind of amazing. It's kind of interesting to watch how the tone changes. And it's like, wow, I just had no idea. So you're right. It is, some might term it a racket. Some might term it as a wonderful business model. Yeah, I think the people who, uh, I think the, anyway, I think, I think we all know what my view is on that. (laughs) Well, you know, Todd, I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It is a, it is a Friday night as we're recording this. And I thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Before we wrap up um why don't you share with everybody uh the dates of of this year's event and how they can find out how to you know join you and go and check it all out well thank you john thank you very much for having me on i really appreciate that i love this stuff i hope that was reflected in this podcast yeah. i would do this if i weren't being paid or if it, you know if i wasn't generating revenue i'd probably be doing this somewhere for someone <laughs> so i truly love this stuff uh, but yeah, people can get more information at allthingsopen.org, allthingsopen.org. Okay. And then, of course, they can check out our website. The event itself uh, is um, in October uh, this year. Right. It's actually a week earlier than it than it normally is. Every year up to this point, it's been the third week in October. This year, the dates are October the 13th through the 15th. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we happen to host the event at the beginning of the week. There is a strategy behind that. We found based on attendee feedback that Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays are really good days to host event, contrary to popular belief, which the popular belief is midweek. We found it to be a little bit different hmm. based on our feedback. So that's a conversation in and of itself. Yeah. But it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, October the 13th through the 15th. We'd love to have anyone uh, you know, attend. Again, diverse audience, the content, the education, the speakers will be wonderful, guaranteed. Well, you know what? I've been there a few times. I'm going to be there this year, and I don't think anyone will be disappointed. If you're interested in open source and technology, I think you'll love it. Thank, thank you very much, Todd. And we'll talk to you soon.